tonight's thought. Sometimes I wish the world was just a little bit more backwards compatible. Maybe this is just yet another sign in an ever-increasing batch of signs uh, that I am getting old, or maybe it's just another sign that I'm just paranoid for no reason of getting old. But just, the world needs to be more backwards compatible. You've heard of this term. It used to be applied a lot to video games and computer software in the 1980s and 1990s. Every time a new model would come out that was improved over the older edition, the question was always going to be like, oh, is it going to be backwards compatible? Am I going to be able to use this new fancy stuff with all my old stuff? And uh, really, a lot of companies uh, lived and died uh, by that by that idea, but that doesn't seem to be the case anymore, right? Uh, you know, the the world just doesn't really thrive on backwards compatibility anymore. It's just like increasingly, technology is growing so rapidly uh, along with the world that you really either adapt or die. Um, I mean, it's just, it's growing so fast that, I, I mean, some people are going to be left behind and I feel like that, that, that gap it used to be much older people than myself would be left behind. You know, people who were retired, who didn't have to stay on the cutting edge of everything. Uh, but now younger and younger people like myself on the cusp of turning 40 next month, uh, we're having to really stay up to date. And uh, it just feels like it's moving so fast that all this technology and all this knowledge we're constantly supposed to stay up to date on and, and, and keep ourselves abreast of. Uh, we're falling behind. Uh, you know, sometimes I just feel like somebody who's been like plucked out of the past from one of those old silent movies and placed into like a uh, Michael Bay Transformers film um all this knowledge just being uh thrown at me at rapid speeds yeah it's like it's like that villain at the end of that indiana jones and the crystal uh, skull movie right that, that woman who gets to meet the aliens and, and she asked to have like all world knowledge uh implanted into her like immediately and she can't take it. Her head just explodes, right? That's exactly how I feel sometimes. My head is uh, just about to explode. There's no backwards compatibility. From Birmingham, Alabama. Yes, some things never change. This is the Midnight Citizen Show. I am your host, Mike Booty. 
here on this dark and stormy night. It was all, it was like dark and stormy earlier. Right now it's just dark. Yeah, the rain's kind of stopped. For a while it was you know, thunder and lightning. It was uh, real violent out there. It's like a scene out of King Lear, uh, but no longer. I, I always do this. I always um, come into the studio and I'm like, I'm going to record a show during the middle of a thunderstorm. Because uh, here in Alabama, especially in the uh, dog days of summer, we get some violent ones. Um, here in Alabama. Uh, and uh, it, it always would be nice, I think, to uh, record. Kind of dangerous, though, because I am in a room that's just like not, nothing but windows on two of its four sides. So it'd be kind of dangerous, um, but good for the audio, good for the ears, right? Uh, it's like one of those ASMR videos that you listen to when you're trying to go to sleep at night. Uh, but it was not to be, as always happens when I try to record in the middle of a thunderstorm, it stops as soon as I like hit record. So right now you'll just have to take my word for it. <laughs> it, it was uh, quite brutal out here earlier, uh, but no longer. It, here for another week of a show. Uh, yeah, this is the last uh, weekend of my summer vacation. Um, something that uh, adults are not supposed to get unless you know they're in the teaching profession, which I am. Uh, of course, I, I, you know, I you've heard me uh, the last couple of weeks, but if you're just now joining me, um, I did recently quit my teaching job to uh, pursue. Uh, finishing grad school, uh, you know, full time. Um, I've been taking graduate classes for the last uh, couple of years, really like the last um, three semesters. Uh, going for my master's in English um, to add on to my master's in education, uh, with the ultimate intent of being able to teach uh, college. That's what I want to do. Uh, that's it's taken me a very very long time to decide what my career track shall be. And, uh, and this is what I finally decided. I'm going to get my master's in English PhD, teach college. That, that seems to be like where I'm going with all this, uh, school and studying right now. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I'm, I'm starting, uh, this week, I'm starting classes, uh, back up this week, uh, starting, um, at the university of Alabama at Birmingham, the, uh, the, the university where I started as a freshman, 21 years ago this week, um, which is just difficult to wrap my head around. Right? Just uh, this week going to orientation, uh, walking through the Hill Student Center, uh, which has been completely torn down and rebuilt since I was a freshman there 21 years ago. Uh, just walking through the campus bookstore, seeing all the, you know, the, the college freshmen checking in, getting their blazer IDs, you know, their ID pass cards, uh, getting, uh, you know, the, visiting, coming in with their parents, their parents, like holding their hands and walking them through, like, uh, you know, creating email addresses and just, you know, seeing all of that, it was brought back a lot of memories, but I will say that, um, 
Uh, you know, if you're looking to feel old, there there really is no better way uh, to do it than to go back to your old college, uh, and and what's more, go back to your old college um, as a student, and um, uh, you know, be supervised by uh, you know people who are still getting their undergraduate degrees. That's that is uh, an interesting um, an interesting box that I will soon be checking, right? <laughs> And just, uh, getting this, uh, thing, just feeling like, um, uh, uh, you know, I'm just, I don't know. I feel like I'm a square peg in a round hole right now. Um, just going to the university, kind of like going to this place that once had these, this, this set of rules and this like code of conduct and, and, uh, this way of getting around campus and, uh, is now completely changed. Um, I mean, well, one thing I will say, uh, when I was a, when, was a, when I was a freshman at the university many, many years ago, uh, there really was no security at all. And now it's like everywhere, I guess, because of like all of the, um, campus shootings that have transpired between 2001 and 2022, uh, you have to have a key code, a key card to get into everywhere. Uh, everything is, is locked. And, uh, you know, I was going to orientation the other day at the library to um, interview for my or to um, uh, to train for my job on campus working in the university writing center, helping uh, students with papers and things like that. Um, and I went up to the door uh, to the library and I tried to open it and it wouldn't. And it was like I felt like it was locked. Am I early? What's going on? Why is it? Why is it? Why is the library locked? And this uh, girl walks up right behind me, doesn't say anything, just pulls out her you know, key card, her student issue key card and just swipes it on the thing and just opens it and just kind of walks right in without saying a word as if there's like this silent thing. And she's just like saying to me telepathically, <laughs> freshman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but like every everything is just so uh, so different now, you know. Just uh, at at the school, um, I mean they're they're tearing down the campus completely for one thing. Um, the um, every building that I've been into since since uh, I started uh, back into graduate school a few semesters ago uh, did not exist when I was there um, at the university as a as an undergraduate. Uh, the, the Hill center, as I've already said, that's the big student center on campus. You used to be just this sad, depressing brick structure that looked like, um, uh, that looked like an old apartment tenement building or something, uh, from the 1950s. It just it was, it was so sad. And, and they were in plans when I was an undergrad, uh, to, to rebuild it. Uh, and they finally did that. And that's actually one of the reasons that I decided to, go back to grad school after many years of just thinking about doing it is that I, as a teacher, one day I, I took my, my students, my seniors on a, uh, campus tour, uh, to the university. And I, I walked them through and saw all the things that they had done that I was not, you know, privy to because I had, uh, graduated and moved on, um, since, since they built all of it. And I said, this isn't fair. I want, I want this. I should have had this. This is nice. Right. Like, like uh, you, you just, um, 
You know, you actually like all the lights work and the air conditioning. There's actually air conditioning. That's nice. So, um, I, I, um, wanted to go back for all that. So the Hill center was built. Uh, the, uh, building where I spent most of my first master's getting an education, uh, certificate, the education building has been completely torn down and they're in the process of building it. Uh, it looks like a demilitarized zone right now where it is, but that's being, that's being rebuilt. Um, the entire library has been built from the inside out rebuilt. It's, um, it's just wild. It's like going to a place that, uh, I used to haunt. I used to like go every single day and I'm still there now today, but it's, it's completely different experience. Uh, it's, uh, it's just an odd, odd feeling to be back there at, uh, UAB. just going into the bookstore and like, um, you know, you used to be able to go to the bookstore and buy your books for the semester, um, at ridiculously marked up prices. Uh, you just used to go to the bookshelf. Uh, I mean, and this is in 2001, this is when the internet was around. Um, but you didn't use the internet to buy your books. You would just go into the bookstore, pick out what you needed based on a syllabus that you printed up from the internet or the, professor handed to you in class on paper and uh and you would go and just pick those books up off the shelf now you're required to go online and buy the books and you know they have them ready for you in the bookstore that was something i had to get used to <laughs> and just like walking in there one of the things that i that i did uh really genuinely miss this week and I, i'm trying not to like do that thing where i go back to college and i'm like oh just oh it's not even fun anymore and all you kids you know, I, i'm just i'm not trying to do that because i just think that like it, am i doing this to like get a good education or am i doing this just to like um I don't know, out of nostalgia's sake, just because I can't move on in my life, I have to like keep redoing and reenacting, you know, earlier scenes in my life. Um, that, that, that is definitely an idea that popped up in my head. Um, but I will say that when I walk into that Hill Student Center, I am sad because you used to be greeted by the college radio station. You used to be greeted by, you know, a big pane of glass with like some kid at a microphone, uh, behind it, you know, spinning the latest hits, uh, for the, for the college. And of course, you know, kids don't, I don't think they, I mean, do they know what the radio is anymore? I don't know. They, they don't listen to it anymore. There's no reason to have a college radio station, but it was, uh, it, it was always like a nice welcome thing. It felt like there was like this, uh, sense of this, uh, community of students, uh, that you're supposed to have in a student center. And, uh, and that's gone now. No more college radio station. So... 
but yeah, I just uh, had this observation this week that um, people are, are just maybe the world in general, that people are not built backwards compatible. Um, we are, we're just a uh, technology that, uh, that starts and we just keep chugging along. Right. And we can try to learn new things along the way and hopefully adapt to the ever changing world. But, um, but we have to work really hard for that. And the older we get, the more set in its, in its way, our brain gets. And, uh, and we just can't, you know, we have to adapt or die. And, uh, again, I, I'm, you know, we're used to, we, we understand this as we get older, that's going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, you, you can, you can try and, uh, learn new technology. You can try and, um, adapt yourself to it. My parents, for instance, know way more and are more comfortable using Apple products than I ever will be. Um, because at one point I just decided I'm not going to go down that route. I'm not going to adapt to Apple. I'll, I'll stick with Android or whatever. Um, and, uh, it's, it's caused some division in my family. I won't lie to you. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the, this one thing happened this week where this, um, this person that I've become acquainted with on Reddit, who's just been sending messages, he's, he's become, um, kind of, uh, as it is a, a, a fan of, of my show, the midnight citizen. I didn't think I had fans, but he likes me. Um, he likes the show and he actually watches, uh, you know, the video feed of the show that I put up on uh, YouTube every week, you know? And, uh, and he asked me, did you ever think about doing any shorts, you know, like extrapolating, uh, some of your, uh, some of your subjects, some of your topics you talk about and just putting them in little bitty short clips. And, uh, I told him, yeah, as a matter of fact, I've done that several times. I put them on YouTube. I'll take like a, you know, like a, an eight or a 10 minute clip or something like that. Sometimes they may be a little bit shorter, like five minutes. Uh, and I'll put them on YouTube and I'll call them, you know, they're in a playlist under midnight bites, which you can check out right now at youtube.com slash Mike booty. Right. And I, and I told him I did that and, and he comes back at me and he says, no, 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 not that. I'm talking about like for, for like Instagram and TikTok and these need to be much shorter, like, you know, 20 or 30 second, second bits or something like that. And so I got, I got kind of interested in that and I went on and I, I investigated the TikTok and I, you know, the thing is, isn't that a staple of being old as you call everything like with the adjective the, you know, like. I went on the Facebook, right? And they're like, no, it's just Facebook. It's like, oh yeah, I was on Facebook in the beginning. We called it the Facebook punk, punk ass kid. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I've been, I've tried TikTok many, many times now. I mean, you, you can't be a teacher and work with kids without, without being on TikTok. And now as, as it happens with a lot of social media, uh, older people are getting on TikTok, which means that it'll probably be like a dead medium to younger people in a couple of years. Um, just like Facebook was when they started letting older people on there, not college students anymore. But nevertheless, TikTok right now is a big social, uh, social 
cultural force. Um, it, it seems to be the biggest social media platform out there right now. And so naturally, as somebody who does uh, put a lot of time and energy into producing a podcast called The Midnight Citizen um, almost every week, um, I should be interested in trying to promote my my show on platforms that people are on. Um, so uh, I didn't, uh, you know, pass them off. I said, I'm not interested in TikTok. I, I investigated TikTok and I went in, I, I created an account and I'm literally like just my mind, it, it is almost like my mind exploded from all the knowledge that was coming into my brain all at once. It just was like, so, uh, so fast and so rapid and just, uh, you don't get anything out of anything that you watch. It just is like a, a visual that comes up and then it's gone. And, you know, he's talking about creating shorts for this platform. And the thing is, is that my, my show, I don't know if you can really communicate, the idea of my show in like a five second TikTok bit. Right. And I, I just, it, it, it was uh, completely one of those things where I just had to admit that this technology, this is something that is going to completely pass me by. Like I'm not even going to invest time into making myself backwards compatible to understand and appreciate this technology. Um, I just can't, it's, it's, it's like a, a bridge too far. I can't, I can't cross it. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I thought about trying it, but it's one of these things where it's like, I'm, I'm only got so much time and energy to devote to this, this show every week. And I just am doing that thing that you do. Um, when you grow older, I just get set in my ways with certain ways, that I, certain things and certain strategies that I have that I'm fairly comfortable with. And even though I know that like adapting to TikTok may be able to like help me find an audience, it's just something that my, my brain is literally not capable of, of understanding it right now. So he says, okay. And he goes off and creates this incredible 20 second clip that sort of does encapsulate, uh, like everything that, uh, my show is, is kind of about, I'll see if I can find it here. So he goes off and does it by himself and, uh, and comes back at me with this clip. I should have had this pulled up. I don't know why I didn't. Yeah. Let me see. Yeah comes up with this clip that would be good for TikTok. This is from one of my shows that I did uh, last summer, I think. Um, and yeah, let's turn up the volume here. We're going to get anybody to casually listen to the show. Okay. I, I knew from the very beginning that if anybody was actually going to listen to my podcast, they were going to be a diehard listen. So you see like that right there, that little clip kind of does encapsulate everything that my show is about the midnight citizen about getting people to be diehard listeners that, you know, you're not just going to listen to it casually or whatever. And, um, you know, and there's subtitles on it too, that come up that in interesting ways or something, you know, that, that 
new thing of editing where you can watch a video with the sound off and just see the subtitles and the subtitles kind of pop up. There's like three small words and one big word and you know, all that <laughs> did a pretty good job. And he, he offered to just keep doing them for me. So I sent him some of my latest clips and I said, you know, if you want to turn this into something, you know, go ahead. And, uh, and he was all for it. So I guess the lesson here is that, uh, you know, if you can't adapt, um, you don't have to die. Just hire someone to be, uh, I don't know, backwards compatible for you, I guess. I used to be proud of growing with the world. Um, I just, I just felt like there are certain things that, uh, that I know and I can build on. And I also have a very curious nature as a, as an educator and like a, uh, a student that I can, I can adapt to things. Um, but I, I constantly am finding myself now in like this, daily struggle of whether or not to admit that there are just some things that I'm not going to be able to adapt to. Um, especially like, I mean, this is a word I hate, but like a content creator <laughs> is, uh, you know, I just, we just used to call it, you know, I don't know, making films or, you know, I don't know, making radio shows, but it's like now if you're on the internet anywhere and you've got like a brand on the internet, Another word I hate, you know, you're a content creator. But yeah, I mean, there, there are certain things that you have to be prepared to do. Um, you know, on, on YouTube, for instance, um, you know, and, uh, and sometimes you're kind of made to think that if you don't do some of these things that all the other content creators are doing, then you, like, what are you doing it for? I don't know. I would like people to listen to the show, but I don't necessarily want to, uh, you know, seek out sponsors or, um, I don't know, <laughs> but you know, it, but it's also, it's not just, I keep limiting all this to, you know, technology. It's not just technology, right. That we're, we have a hard time, um, adapting to it's also, you know, social and cultural change that the world seems to be just moving very fast in cultural directions. And we sometimes have a very hard time, um, adapting to that. Like, I mean, I'll just, I'll go ahead and put my cards on the table right now. I'll be totally honest with you that the world right now seems to be positioning itself, right. To be just done listening to middle-aged white guys. Okay. And I want to, put this out there right now. I'm not, I'm not lamenting this. I'm not judging this at all. I'm not, I don't have really even a, an opinion on this. Okay. I'm just saying that from my own experience, especially with something that someone said to me in a graduate school classroom a few years ago, when I asked the question, uh, what, um, 
what are magazines or scholarly magazines looking for right now? And, and, and the answer involved a lot of things, but it didn't. It, it, but the answer also involved one thing that they're looking for are culturally diverse voices, not necessarily those of middle-aged white people. Okay. Well, if you're watching the video of this podcast, you'll notice that I am a middle-aged white guy. <laughs> and so that presents obviously a little bit of a problem for me. Okay. Um, yes, I do recognize my limitations, right? I am, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm racially challenged. I, I, I am, uh, living in a white suburban bubble that I, that I grew up in. Okay. And there are just some things that I'm not going to be able to understand. Um, there, you know, we can adapt to certain things in this world, but there are also certain things that we just have to understand that we're not going to ever be able to adapt to. It's not necessarily like Apple products, right? <laughs> or the new gaming system. It's just cultural experiences, which are ever changing in this world. Um, and, uh, right now there seems to be like a hunger out there. That's just the way that the world is. There's a hunger for voices, uh, that have historically been marginalized. Okay. Um, and, and, and I am going into a field, uh, of, of academia, uh, where, uh, that is like the most progressive, uh, place in terms of, uh, being hungry for these diverse voices. Okay. So I, I do have to expect that I'm going to be going in and there's going to be like a lot of, um, you know, pretense in terms of sitting in classes and trying to relate to some of these, um, you know, trying to like shed some of these biases that I may come in with. Right. I understand that. Okay. And again, like that's, that's tough, but you know, that being said, at least I recognize my limitations. You know, there, there are a lot of people out there. Okay. Who, uh, who just, you know, we're getting older and they, they think that they can adapt to some of these, you know, cultural changes, uh, by having an opinion on it, you know, by, by essentially saying like, I can't adapt. I just don't want to. Right. Um, and, and, and I will give you, I'll give you an example, you know, this, this week, um, during orientation, for instance, um, somebody, you know, we, we have to go around and give introductions and I'm used to this by now, uh, this, this part of introducing yourself to a big group of people, uh, in a room, um, you know, you've never met any of them before. I was asked to do this as a teacher in summer camp. Right. And so they, they ask, we, uh, please identify yourself if you'd like to by your preferred pronouns. Okay. Uh, so this is a thing now that, that, that they're doing that, that they want people to, um, identify themselves by pronouns. They're not mandating it. It's not a requirement. It's just like, if you want to, right. And, uh, you know, we go around and so here's this moment where, you know, I, as an aging, you know, white person, um, and a man to boot, right. There are some presumptions in society that I might push back on this a little bit. Okay. 
because indeed, you know, there are a lot of people, uh, my age, um, who are men who, who do push back against this idea that like, you know, Oh, we never had to identify ourselves by pronouns. Like, why are there so many different genders now? Why can't we just call a boy and a girl? It's okay. If you're gay. I mean, it used to just be gay. Now it's like, you know, so yeah, there are, there are people who, uh, you know, genuinely push back on this. Right. And so like when I was in orientation yesterday, um, I, I, could have decided to not say anything about my pronouns. As a matter of fact, several people did not. I don't think it was because they were morally against it. They just decided that it wasn't, you know, that, that either they forgot to say it. Okay. Or they just didn't want to. Right. But it's one of those things where I was just like, you know, this ultimately I'm not being mandated to say it. This ultimately doesn't really affect my life. And I'm here for much bigger reasons than to pitch a fit about pronouns. Right. So I just said, Hey, I'm Mike, uh, he, him. Right. And that was it. Okay. And now we can move on right now. We can move on. So, you know, of course, some people have a real problem with this. They don't necessarily like, um, they think that they're being told to do it, but I have yet to encounter a situation where they where they are. It's just if you want to. So, you know, one thing that they've done to you know, compromise with people who are uncomfortable with the whole pronouns thing is they will now say, please introduce yourself with your preferred name and pronoun. Because right, a lot of people have nicknames, okay? Like my name is Michael, but uh, you can call me Mike. That's my preferred name. You know, we all have these things in life that uh, we just, uh, you know, we have options for how we want to be identified. That's always the way it's been. It's just right now, gender is another way that people are noting that they would like to be identified by. It's just, you, you, you know, you go around and there are, there are legitimately some people though, who do not understand this, right? Like, hi, my name is Richard. Though my preferred name is Dick and my pronouns are none of your dang business. <laughs> I truly just do not know what's going to make some of these people happy. You know, these are the people who, you know, they, they sit around in dark rooms with a bunch of other people. And the only pleasure that they seem to be getting out of life these days is to talk about how shitty the world is and how great it used to be. Um, and you know, that's, that's, that's what they do. I just don't know what it's going to take to make these people happy. Like they, they somehow seem to be forever under the delusion that change is not natural, that the world is supposed to always stay the same. I, I, you know, <laughs> that, I mean, maybe technology can change every once in a while, but like cultural social norms are, are not supposed to be changed. They're supposed to always stay the same. Right. 
and then just like at some point, I don't know, there's like just some kind of being in the world um, who will, you know, say once that guy dies, okay, hey, Richard's dead. Now, now the world can can change this one thing that he that he wasn't comfortable with, right? I will tell you the. Uh, one thing in this world that absolutely refuses to change that will not ever change is my university email address <laughs> that uh, talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the show that uh, 21 years ago, uh, roughly about six or seven years after email addresses had even been invented. I was 18 years old sitting at freshman orientation at my college and they uh, they told us to write down an email address for for uh, for college and plug it into the computer and they said just letting you know it's permanent it can never be changed and we're all like okay yeah so you know I plugged in an incredibly juvenile email address um it's not like it wasn't dirty or anything, but it's just not something necessarily that you would want as a professional adult um, who works with students, right? Who have juvenile sense of, <laughs> of humor. Uh, and I still have this email address to this day, and I've gone back and forth with IT at the university. I cannot get rid of it. There's literally nothing I can do to get rid of it. And so now I'm going to be teaching students in the next, in the, in the coming year, and I'm going to be, you know, uh, corresponding with professors who will perhaps be on my tenure committee, <laughs> tenure committee someday, or my thesis committee. Uh, you know, and uh, I, I, I was astonished by this. I mean, apparently, even if you are, I was talking to somebody about this. Even if you are a professor with the university, and you get a divorce from your spouse. You, you can't change your email address from that. I, I just, I, I'm astonished by this. I don't know. Astonished. One thing that will not change is my email address. All right, we're going to take a break now and play some music. I'll be back after this. It's the Midnight Citizen Show.
Radio. No, that's not right. Welcome back to the Midnight Citizen Show. I hope you enjoyed that uh, musical interlude there. Uh, something we do every week here on the show. Give myself a little bit of a break from uh, talking about how I've become extinct. Um, <laughs> uh, no. Uh, we had some uh, good music there, though, from uh, a couple of artists we've heard on the show before. Um, Forget the Whale. We love Forget the Whale. Um, Take to the Skies was the name of their song from the uh, album of the same name. Yeah, every time I... Uh, I'm not doing this just to do this, but uh, every time I feature Forget the Whale on my show, I always get a really nice note from their lead singer um, on my uh, on my comments. And I'm just a, a big fan of them. I really am. Uh, and Chalk It Up to the Blues by another artist uh, that I love, Big Sandy and his Fly Right Boys. Um, you know, that's kind of like that, that zoot suit music. 
the kind that was very popular in the 90s that I, I, I couldn't stand back then, but I kind of like them. Big Sandy and his Fly Right Boys chalk it up to the blues. Um, and uh, both of those tunes are available, along with a lot of other uh, music that I play on the show, um, both in the background and featured uh, at the musical breaks. Uh, on the freemusicarchive.org, courtesy of WFMU. It's good stuff. And um, you can listen to me, uh, just reminding you, at uh, mikebooty.com slash the Midnight Citizen. Uh, you can find me on Spotify, Stitcher, uh, on SUG, ONSUG.com, the Overnight Skip Underground, where you can find me and a lot of other great hosts that do a show just like me, um, where they talk into the microphone. Um, not so much about getting older. They're already old. <laughs> I'm just joking, guys. Um, anyway, you can listen to them there. And yeah, watch me do the show over at youtube.com slash Mike Booty. Um, just fantastic um, show that you can find there where I, uh, where I, where I do it. You can uh, watch me uh, do the show live, mess up, I don't know, whatever sick thing that you fancy. a little bit more about uh college you know this is a uh, you know college week um high school started a couple of weeks ago elementary middle school uh colleges always start um a little later in august and uh, i think most in the country will be uh, most college classes will have started by the end of the week so um this is a, a new thing that colleges are really starting to tackle now um, in their dormitories on campus. Um, real problems, apparently, with um, uh, students, perhaps especially uh, young men away from home for the first time in their lives, um, uh, particularly you know in, in dorms that are not co-ed. I don't know. Um, having problems uh, controlling their urges um, in the uh, in the showers. Um, this this popped up this week on. Um, don't ask me how I get these notices, but uh, a friend of mine on Facebook um, uh, published this uh, or didn't publish it, but he, he shared it. Uh, this uh, Huffington Post piece. Um, you know, twenty five letters warning students not to masturbate in dorm showers. Okay. So there's really no other, this isn't Seinfeld. This is, there's really no other way to, uh, uh, to say this, uh, that is a medical term. It's a clinical term. You know, I'm going to go ahead and say masturbation, right? Masturbation. Okay. All right. So yeah, here's some of these, uh, <laughs> letters. These are posted, uh, by, by university personnel, um, in the, um, in the shower rooms um, of, uh, of colleges and universities across this great land of ours. Uh, this is a um, uh, from the University of Michigan, masturbation in big letters. Is in the showers is a University of Michigan honor code violation. Uh, pipes in the halls are not meant to handle 
Semen, semen-related costs run into the thousands every year. Um, please masturbate in your own rooms. I mean, they don't know how to say it. I mean, you know, it's just, it's right there in the, in the, in the showers. They have like huge problems with this, right? Um, here's a letter on University of Chicago letterhead, um, that went out to the students there. Dear residents, uh, we have recently found several blockages in showers and university owned accommodation, mostly caused by human hair. However, over the last quarter, we have found many of these blockages to be caused by large quantities of what we have now determined to be semen. This is intolerable because semen is not soluble in water. It gets caught in filters, and our system is particularly susceptible to this. This has cost over $7,000 to repair thus far. I mean, no wonder they're writing letters about it. This is some serious money. Though we know, must, though we know you must take care of your business, in quotes, we have never faced a situation of this enormity before. It is because of this, unfortunately, that we must ask you to refrain from doing this in the shower. Uh, may we advise those who wish to masturbate to do so in the comfort of their own dorms and to dispose of their discharges appropriately. I just, you know, I love it when they're trying to be so medical and so, you know, but, but they're just, it's, it's just a crack up. I don't know what to say about it, you know. I mean, uh, you know, this is uh, one of those things. I mean, you know, you're when you know you're moving away from, you know, um, there are certain uh, you know rules about like co-ed hooking up and all that stuff in colleges, and uh, it's one of the few times in your your entire life, right, where you're going to be young and you know you're on campus with a bunch of other young people, and there's just um, there you know there's that. Um, you know, the human body does not stop for that, right? It does not stop for that, okay? Um, yeah, so we have we have a lot of other letters here. University of Illinois, Michigan State University, Baylor, all, all essentially saying the same things, right? Uh, the best one I found, <laughs> uh, yeah, is right here from the um, esteemed university, Um the, the college in the sticks, right? College in the sticks. Okay. Here it is right here. I guess all the dorms are named after different types of trees. Uh, dear students of sweet gum tree hall, uh, this summer, our maintenance department spent $7,000 in unbudgeted funds cleaning. And in some cases, replacing pipes in this building. Uh, much of the damage has been attributed to accumulated particles of reproductive material in the fittings running directly from the shower room in the men's dormitory. It is with the utmost sincerity that the administration of the college and the sticks requests that students refrain from self gratification within the premises of said shower room. Um, and it goes on uh, for the sake of clarity and recognition of jargon among the distinguished youth of our esteemed institution. This means that all acts of coitus interruptus, Juanism, the five-knuckle shuffle, hand-jiving, cuff the, cuffing the carrot, painting the pickle green, and dates with Jill should cease here immediately. This does not mean that flicking the bean is not tolerated in the private residences of the dormitory itself. Students are encouraged to burp their worms at their own leisure. And in order to save finances on future maintenance costs, Dean Anderson has seen fit to purchase special receptacles for said acts. 
these so-called Fox boxes may be received on loan from the Campus Recreation Center. Once a student disposes in his appropriate receptacle, he is then asked to place it outside his room, where it will be discreetly collected by campus security, placed in a hazmat vehicle, also specially purchased by the dean from his own private funds for the disposal of unrealized baby batter, and transported to an off-campus site where it will be properly discarded. Yours and our Heavenly Father, College in the Sticks, Administration. <laughs> they really, uh, and they really went for it there. <laughs> they had like a whole plan. They really wanted to work with the students. Um, all of these notes are fake, but uh, yeah, the uh, the name of the Huffington Post article was 25 fake letters warning students not to masturbate in dorm showers." So this this is like a, a, a trend of um, you know pranks, uh, you know college pranks. Um, just these things never change, right? Um, you know, it used to be how many kids can you get into one phone booth? Um, how many goldfish can you eat now? It's like, um, how convincing can you make the fake letter, uh, telling students not to masturbate in showers sound? <laughs> um, it shall be though, that there's still a lesson here because, uh, the problem is, is that, uh, uh, you should not write such a note on university letterhead. Most, most universities have that as a serious code of conduct violation, right? So, um, I know it makes it look real, but, um, please don't do it. This is, uh, so yeah, as I, as I was saying before, this is not my first time in college, of course. Um, this is my third time in college. Uh, Somebody asked me the other day, um, what did you go to college for? And I said, which time? And uh, she said, you know, to get your undergrad, what did, what did you go to college for? I had to think for a second. Uh, you know, college the first time, I don't know, you, you go there after high school. You know, you've been in school uh, since you were four years old, and, and school is just something you do. So... Right when you when you go to when you get out of high school, you just go into college because that's what you do. Um, you you do finally have this choice in your education, but one 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 choice that you know for people like me that you don't realize you have is like you don't have to go at all. And 
you know, these days more and more students are realizing motorcycle outside that they don't have to go to college. Um, but that was not an option. Um, I, I had to go to college. I was very strongly encouraged to go to college. It was still very much part of the rhetoric that, uh, college is a requirement and there really wasn't a whole lot of information about the, 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 the true dangers of spending some of the best years of your life, uh, in a classroom, taking out ridiculous amounts of loans that are going to be carried with you for pretty much most of your, you know, twenties, thirties, and and for some people even their forties, right? And for even some more people, uh, quite a lot longer than that. <laughs> um. Yeah, but I mean. I couldn't even, I, I told her, it's like, that's just something you do uh, when she asked me that. Um, but I told her eventually, oh yeah, when I remembered, I said, I went to college for communications. Um, and, and I did, there was a point there when I first started college um, 21 years ago that I had this genuine motivation um, as to what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I, I very much, I took communications not for the reason that a lot of people take it, which is it's like an easy major and you get to like watch TV and stuff. Um, I, I took it because I genuinely wanted to be a journalist. I, I wanted to be a television journalist. I wanted to be a producer um, in a newsroom, right? Going out and getting the stories, um, working with reporters and news anchors and, and, and editors and things like that. I had this idea that that's what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I, I uh, watch the news today. Like, I, I will wake up every single morning, um, even when I don't have to get up now and go to work. You know, I used to get up every morning and go to work. And just like now, I, I, make, I make my coffee and I sit down and I watch the CBS morning news. Um, you know, with all these people like Gail King and Tony DeCopel and I don't know, that guy who's always laughing um, at everything Gail King says, because I think he's afraid of her. Honestly, I kind of would be too. Um, <laughs> I watch the news, not really necessarily to be informed. I, I watch it almost with a kind of schadenfreude, just like thanking God that I'm not, I, I, I decided not to be a part of that. <laughs> This this uh, just toxic, awful um, news cycle, or whatever they're calling it now. They call it news for lack of a better term, but it's not news. Um, it, it's not even infotainment. That would that would imply that you actually get information um, occasionally while being entertained, right? It's not even that anymore. Um, you know, it's it's just one big long uh, advertisement. That that's what the news has become now. Um, every aspect of it, right? Like, you know, we used to bemoan cable news for being an advertisement for like pharmaceutical companies and, and, and basically the political opinion of billionaires. Um, but, uh, now it's, it's even, it's leaked down into network news now, which used to just give you the news and nothing else. But, um, but, but, um, you know, they're, they're privately held businesses. They're competitive and, uh, they, they have to compete. Um, for the deep pockets of those billionaires with political opinions and those 
those pharmaceutical companies. You know, but I, I had uh, watched right before I went into college the movie Broadcast News. <laughs> and, uh, you know, by and large, it changed my life. Uh, it, it did. You know, Broadcast News is this movie from the 1980s with uh, Holly Hunter and Albert Brooks and William Hurt. And, and they, they play a reporter, a news producer, and a news anchor, respectively. Um you know, working in a national news desk at Washington, D.C. Um, and, you know, the movie is, it's about, you know, Albert Brooks is jealous of William Hurt because not only is William Hurt coasting along, uh, putting very little effort into his job, but having amazing success at it, but he's also getting the girl that he has a crush on, played by Holly Hunter. And, and so... That's the basic idea, the plot of the movie, but the, the movie just kind of gives you, it, it put me at the time into this energy of being part of something that was big, that could potentially change the world, which was, you know, which was news. I, I had this idea that like, this is where the real people of the world, um, you know, work and can make a difference is in like a newsroom. And so uh, I was very much into that idea, and I went to college to major in communications to to be a part of that world, to be a part of that broadcast news uh, <laughs> legacy, right? And I, this is the mistake that I had, even even back then. So I mean, this is definitely a sign of me not getting older. This is just a sign of me as a human being. Is that back then when I was only eighteen years old? In starting college as a communications major, uh, I had this idea that, uh, that that the world is not supposed to change. That uh, right? That that um, that uh, I I it doesn't matter. Backward compatibility does not matter. The world is not supposed to change. Uh, this movie was made in 1987, and here I am, you know, 15 years later, entering. Uh, the, uh, entering college to, to, uh, enter into a world that I thought was portrayed very accurately in broadcast news. It may have been like that then, but it was not in 2001. There was like, uh, CNN, uh, cable network, cable news wasn't even mentioned in the movie broadcast news. Um, you know, but, <laughs> but I, I loved this movie because, you know, I was watching, I was actually watching it last weekend with my wife. It's the first time I had seen it in many years, um, broadcast news. And one of the things that I love as an adult that I also loved as, 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 a, as a teenager watching this movie is that it is, you know, people, very talented, very educated, very smart people, you know, standing around in newsrooms uh, debating the ethical implications of some of their uh, you know, journalistic responsibilities. And I, I was like, I want to go into a field where ethics is a part of the playing field where people actually talk about ethics. Right. And I guess like at the time, what I was too young to really understand is that the movie is lamenting the passing 
of this, that uh, the movie is making an argument that that people no longer do this, or that if people do sit around and talk about their ethical responsibilities as journalists, that um, that that those people are becoming extinct. All right. It's like a major plot point in the movie is, uh, you know, the William Hurt character has no problem whatsoever sacrificing uh, ethics to, you know, get to get the story. And, and he, he comes across as like the guy in that movie that everybody is drawn to, that everybody likes. Um, he has no problem with it. And everybody at the same time kind of turns away from the Albert Brooks character, right? Uh, this this idea was completely lost on me. So I, I went into communications on a completely false assumption and did not realize that um, the, the newsroom is not a place for morally straight people, uh, for, for good people. It's um, and I, I realized this when I when I interned at, at a news station. And if you've ever worked in a news station, you can probably tell me it's it's not it's not really uh, uh you know, a, a, a place for the most ethical people in the world, right? It, it can be a, a really like a, a shark tank, can it? Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't get, you know, I, I, I didn't get nothing out of the experience of, uh, of going to college as a as, you know, as a communication major. Um, I stayed in it for some reason for four years, but you know, I, I learned how to like edit video, which I ended up really loving and, and still do today. I, I ended up falling in love with, um, you know, radio, um, I, I, you know, the, one of the reasons I do this show today is because I, I started out doing college radio back in like 2005 at, you know, four o'clock in the morning, <laughs> the shift that nobody else wanted, the shift that they didn't even know that they could give out until I asked for it. They're like, are you sure about that? So I did that back in the day. Right. And then, and, and this is, uh, I mean, you know, I, I still do things today based on that, but, uh, yeah, I just I can't, I did come out of college very definitively knowing that I never want to work in a newsroom ever. <laughs> That's it's not the place for me. Um, not saying that everybody in that industry is corrupt, but you know they 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 create a lot of the drama, right? That that we that we have to that we as human beings as poor unsuspecting citizens have to deal with and sort out every single day. Like the news is like the you know, the, the gossipy mean girl at school, you know, who spreads all these rumors and you kind of have to go through the source. And a lot of times you, you have absolutely no idea from watching the news or, or consuming the news, what's real and what's wrong. All right. I don't want to get on a tear here, but that's, you know, absolutely true. And without further ado, let's go down there. Yes, 
to the great shop on the corner, the Video Street Video Store, to check out their latest stock. See what's going on. Watch one video really quickly, and I'll be right back here to wrap things up. Enjoy it. school, we've changed only one thing, the ages. The older people are the students. The younger people are teachers and other school workers. Do you think this would work? Sure it would, for a while anyway. First thing this morning, we are going to review our May eyes. What sort of things could children teach adults? You forgot to say may I. Oh. <laughs> well, we all forget sometimes. Let's try it again. Linda, stand up. Well, how about things that adults may have forgotten? First two steps are to get on the skateboard. Put your right foot in the shoe. Children could also teach adults things they've never learned. Up so the side is facing the point. Try it. <laughs> Come on, straighten out those backs. Needs more practice. Come on. Try to keep yourself balanced. Robert, I hear you're having a problem. Come into my office and we'll discuss it. I'm sure we can work it out with the help of your children. This might be fun for a while, but that young teacher would soon be faced with a serious problem. In this classroom, he'd have to teach doctors, mechanics, store clerks, plumbers, sailors, farmers, ball players, office workers, airline pilots, maybe even a United States senator. teach all these people. I haven't been through high school yet. Well, you don't have to. This is just pretend. In fact, we'd better let these adults go now. The truth is, they have jobs and other duties they must do. In the community, these grown-ups must print the newspapers, take care of the sick, build places to live, and keep the community supplied with services, food, and clothing. Do you think they had to go to school to learn to do these things? Well, 
Daphne certainly had to learn to read. And to write. And to do mathematics. Studying science helped them learn to help others. The study of history and literature helped them to understand the world and be better citizens. My name is Charles Learning about art and music helps them to express themselves and to enjoy the works of others. Someday their children will grow up and want to do these things too. The parents know before that can happen, the children will have to study and learn. Who is going to teach them? I would like to teach the children, but I'm busy all day carrying the mail. I'd like to, but if I don't stay here and work on these vehicles, they'll never get done. And people have to work in the restaurants, or we won't be able to eat out. What a busy community needs are people who will devote their whole day just to the children. So some people decided to become teachers and school workers. Their job in the community would be helping the children learn. Here's how it works. School workers pay other people in the community for food, clothing, gasoline, car repair, and whatever else they need. And the other community workers pay the school workers for teaching the children and taking care of the school. Let's go back a moment. Remember our classroom full of doctors, office workers, sailors, clerks, and pilots? Can you tell which is which? No, nobody can tell just by looking at them in a classroom. And just imagine if this were a real classroom. Now it's even harder to tell which one will grow up to be a doctor, which a business person, and so forth. What does the teacher think about that? I look at the children, and what I see are all kinds of wonderful hopes for the future. I don't know what they'll be when they grow up. That's up to each one of them. My job is to help them learn so they can become whatever they want to be. To do that, the teacher first had to go through all levels of school. Elementary school, junior high, high school, and college. In college, this person and a friend decided to make teaching their career. They and other college students were studying subjects that most children wouldn't understand. Then they realized something important. The only reason they could learn grown-up things was because, as children, they had learned to think and study in their early years of school. So they decided it was important to teach children, and that was what they would do. 190. Be very careful that when... After years of study, he got a job teaching children in another city. ...from the ones column over to the tens. Who can tell me what who are... She applied to the school board in this community and was hired to teach this class. Right. 
can anybody tell me where there are refugees right now? A lot of them. In Thailand? Uh, kind of, close to there. Of course, not all people who work at a school are teachers. Before we go in and look, can you name some of the other jobs people have at your school? There is the teacher in charge of the whole school, the principal. When a classroom teacher gets sick, the principal has to find a substitute. There are books to order, records to keep, and special school events to plan. The principal has to keep track of everything that's going on in the school. Mr. Harris? Now, this is Tom Jerome at Nottingham. Could you come in this afternoon and help us out in the second grade? Good. We'll see you about 12 o'clock then. Oh, Megan, does it hurt badly? Okay, I'll call your mom. What's your number? Five, four, two, three, one. The school secretary types newsletters, reports, programs, talks to parents, and helps teachers and students in many ways. If a child gets hurt on the playground or has a temperature, the school nurse is trained to know just what to do. Often it's the nurse who discovers when a child needs glasses or has other problems. And there are the school custodians. Without them, the building would soon be a mess. School bus drivers are certainly important to children who live far from the school. On cold winter mornings, it's sure nice that they always remember to come by. And many schools have cafeteria workers. It's not the same as preparing meals for one small family. They have to prepare enough to serve hundreds and to know what foods keep children healthy. these people are devoting their lives to helping children learn. Do you think children understand that? Denise, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an explorer. Do you think explorers have to know how to read and do mathematics? Yes. Sure. How else are they going to be able to read maps and directions? Or figure out how much to pay for travel tickets and meals and places to sleep? Dave, what do you want to be? Either a television newsman or draw cartoons. Does a television newsman have to be good at reading? Sure, he has to read the news. A cartoonist must have to read a great deal to know what to make cartoons about. And if he couldn't write, he couldn't tell us what the cartoon characters are saying. Daryl? Yes? What do you want to do when you grow up? I want to take care of all kinds of animals and be a veterinarian. What do you hope to be, Kevin? I want to be a teacher. Well, maybe someday you will be a teacher. Or explorer, or nurse, or mechanic, or doctor, or artist. The fact is, with the help of your school workers, you can be anything you learn to be.
Betsy, you want to be an explorer, you say? Well, we're sorry to tell you, everything's already been mapped out. Tom, you want to be a TV newsman? Well, would you ever tell a source that you love them just to get information? If the answer is yes, you'll be excellent. And uh, welcome back to the Midnight Cynical Citizen. Sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, I actually had not seen that video until I watched it just now along with you. Um, it's interesting. It is funny how just things line up um, for, for the show here about uh, being a teacher. You know, they're, I love, they explain it in such simple terms to the kids. You know, the teachers go out into the community and buy goods and services. And in return, that community gives the teacher money to teach their children all day. Oh. Going out to the community, like, um, why, Hey, Hey, you mailman, why aren't you, a, why aren't you a teacher? Um, because I've got to deliver the mail. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> very simple. Um, yeah, I, since the beginning of the time, you know, one thing about being a teacher that's strange is that you seem to get like a lot of, um, a lot of respect from people. Um, not necessarily from the kids, but just from sometimes from parents, not always, but, uh, sometimes from parents, but you know, people in the community, when you tell them that you're a teacher, uh, usually followed by like, you know, teachers should get paid more, right? It's like be, being a teacher. It's like one of the few professions is it's actually okay to talk about how much you get paid um, without really mentioning a, a, an exact figure, but people know that it's not that much. Okay. People always say that teachers should get paid more. And I, I think uh, it's true. I think teachers are probably pretty criminally underpaid. Um, yeah, my, my argument for it is though, is that, um, I don't know, teaching is just like any other kind of service job, like a, like a mechanic or even like a custodian, right? If they got paid that well, then everybody would want to be a teacher, right? If a janitor got paid well, everybody would want to be a janitor. Okay. And there'd be nobody to like do banking or trade stocks or whatever. Right. Maybe that's one of my theories that's wrong, but uh, yeah, welcome back uh, into the studio here, Midnight Citizen. Uh, I'm about to do a toast, and for once, I'm going to do um, a toast, not to a dead celebrity, um, but a celebrity who is still alive, uh, but I'm wishing him all the best. I'm going to do a toast tonight. This is, this is a regular, you know, feature on the show. I would stop drinking so much if people stop dying. But uh, every time somebody dies, I have to do a toast to them, right? Yeah. Um, Salman Rushdie, uh, the author. Um, this actually happened last Friday before last week's show, but I didn't get around to it because I was doing a toast to Anne Heche, um, <laughs> who did die. Um, but... Salman Rushdie is, uh, if you don't know, uh, is an author, 
um, very prominent in the 1980s um, for, he's, he's a British Indian. I think he was born in India, raised British, um, wrote a book in the 1980s called The Satanic Verses, which, you know, growing up, I always knew that there was this book called The Satanic Verses, and there was this evil author named Salman Rushdie, right, who wrote it. And you know, growing up Christian, um, so naturally I thought, oh, that means Satan, right? It's a book where Satan uh, spouts verses, um, right? It's very much church lady. Um, but, you know, come to find out, it, it's not, you know, the book doesn't really care that much about Christianity. Um, there, It's a very controversial book that came out in the, the late 80s where the prophet Muhammad is uh, humanized and somewhat satirized uh, by Salman Rushdie, which you, you can't do that. Um, mu Muslims do not like the prophet. Like Christians don't necessarily like Jesus being per portrayed in a humanistic way, but we're, we're kind of, I mean, you know, they're kind of okay with it. They don't really care. I, you know, I don't know. They care, but they're not willing to kill somebody over it. Sometimes they may, but okay. Salman Rushdie wrote this book called the satanic verses. The prophet Muhammad is discussed and not, not, not a reverent manner. And so the Ayatollah Khamenei, right? The, the head Muslim guy, uh, issues a fatwa, F A T W A, a fat, a fatwa, right? Against him, which basically means like, Hey, if you're Muslim, it's your duty to kill this man, to kill Salman Rushdie. Okay. And Salman Rushdie had to go into hiding. Um, he's never been back to India. Um, he, he's just, uh, constantly in exile and, uh, a couple of attempts were made on his life. And, uh, yeah, like sure enough, last Friday he was giving a speech uh, in New York and this Muslim extremist just jumped onto stage and stabbed him several times in the neck and the abdomen. And um, just, uh, he's fine though. I mean, I was reading, uh, while we were watching the video just now, I was reading an update that he was taken off life support, that he's breathing on his own, that uh, he may lose an eye. But for an 80-year-old man who's just been stabbed several times, he's actually doing okay. So that's good. Um, you know, so I'm gonna do, I'm gonna take a little toast to uh, Salman Rushdie with a little bit of uh, I've got some uh, Elijah Craig small batch bourbon, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. I don't know if Salman would like that, but. Mm. There you go, Salman. Yeah, yeah it sounds like um, his name's Salman Rushdie, right? It's like fish in a hurry. I don't know. Yeah. Um, 2022 will just be the year of people getting assaulted on stage, won't it? Like... <laughs> you know, started, you had like a Will Smith punching Chris Rock's light out lights out for that joke he made at the Oscars about, uh, Will Smith's wife who had alopecia, uh, 
Dave Chappelle was uh, assaulted on stage in California. Salman Rushdie stabbed, right? Uh, that will be what 2022 goes down in the books for, I'm quite sure. The same way that 2020 was the year of uh, COVID. Um, no. yeah, yeah, what surprises me, though, the most, I think, about Salman Rushdie, and the reason that this is really just like, I, I can't get it out of my head, is just an author being stabbed. Like, how often does that happen in the 21st century? Like, I thought we were supposed to be in the age where people don't really read books anymore. You know, it's like you have to be like a YouTube celebrity or like on TikTok or or, or, a, or a real housewife or something to, to really face public ridicule. Uh, but, but Salman Rushdie, you know, an author who is not relevant to anybody, I don't think, under 60... <laughs> Uh, was was stabbed on stage the, because of this fatwa that goes back almost forty years. That I cannot get over that. That's amazing to me. Didn't uh, wasn't that like a major storyline in an, uh, um, a a season of Curb Your Enthusiasm? Like Larry David was writing a Broadway musical called Fatwa about the life of Salman Rushdie. I think Salman Rushdie actually guest starred on it. Am I right about that? But, you know, like in this day and age, though, and th this is one of those things, right, that, that's interesting. Um, and I, I guess really does tie up this show. Um, I didn't mean it to be like this, but it does. Uh, the head Muslim in, in Pakistan, what, what's his name? The head Muslim. I don't know. Uh, I'm so sorry if I'm offending Muslims out there. I'm really not. But, you know... Um, um, yeah, the former prime minister of Pakistan, Imran Khan, um, said that Salman Rushdie is a terrible man for writing what he wrote, but he shouldn't have been stabbed over it. And this is uh, a very interesting thing for uh, for a Muslim leader to say in 2022. He wouldn't have been able to say this 40 years ago when the initial fatwa you know, was, uh, was issued. Um, this is, this is like an, an example of somebody who is, uh, who, who is backward compatible, who is, uh, uh, with, with the times, you know, he's, he's, he's adapting and compromising. He's still saying, right. That, um, what he did was terrible, but he shouldn't have been stabbed over it. Okay. So this is discourse, you know, welcome to the idea of what America is supposed to be. Former prime minister who, you know, of course now the Taliban has control over there, but you know, they're, <laughs> they don't, they don't have a one, a problem one damn bit about like an author getting stabbed over, um, slamming Muhammad. Um, Right. But yeah, I mean, this, this is the way the world should be, right? We, we should grow with the times. We should still like, uh, preserve our past and what has always made us mad and angry, but except that not everybody out there is going to agree with that and just kind of like move on. Um, let our views be known, but just move on, let it go, you know, fine. I'll give you my pronouns, whatever. 
but yeah, uh, Salman Rushdie getting stabbed gave a little bit of perspective to what I'm doing, right? Going back to school, studying literature. Um, I, I hate that he got stabbed, but in a way, it sort of validated what I'm doing in some kind of way because I always feel that, like, you know, I'm I'm going into a world where people no longer read, where like books are just not considered a relevant medium by many people yet people are still getting stabbed over them. You know, um, there is still weight to the written word in this world. So I, I guess that is really ultimately why I'm taking a toast to Salman Rushdie tonight. He's a martyr. I want to thank you so much for joining me here tonight on the Midnight Citizen Show. I have been your host, Mike Booty. Um, once again, just a reminder, you can uh, listen to my show on Spotify, Stitcher. You're listening to it right now. How did you come to listen to it? I don't know. Keep listening to it there. You can find, though, however, on MikeBooty.com slash The Midnight Citizen, a complete archive of my show, Back Issues, going all the way back to 2011. Every show I've done since January of 2011 is there. Um, you can find it there at MikeBooty.com slash The Midnight Citizen. Listen to me at OnSug, the Overnightscape Underground, O-N-S-U-G.com. And watch me at youtube.com slash Mike Booty. Of course, also join the Facebook page, all you old people. And coming soon uh, to TikTok. All right. Thank you again for stopping by. Keep your eyes open. <laughs>